0: The Chet Coppock Podcast Network. Two Angry Men. A podcast featuring a legendary baseball
1: player and a legendary sports broadcaster. Two Angry Men. And now here's your hosts, Chet Coppock and Denny McClain.
0: Dennis McClain, baseball's last 30-game winner is standing by. Motown, I'm Chet Coppock right here in Chicago. Hey, uh, DMAC, right at the top, uh, Jeff Ogilvy a uh, big time PGA golfer wouldn't draw flies nobody puts on a tv set to watch jeff ogilvy on a sunday during final round play this guy says that tiger woods now good morning jeff ogilvy who the hell is jeff ogilvy says that tiger woods should not resume playing competitive golf until he apologizes and that includes apologizing to his fellow golfers hello jeff ogilvy the reason you're a multimillionaire is because the presence of tiger woods hello Raised purse money exponentially. If I'm Tiger Woods, once I'm back in action, the first thing I do is I deck Jeff Ogilvy.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> the best part about what you just said is Ogilvy is a putz to begin with. I mean, and he, you know, listen, Ogilvy's a pretty good player, as we all know, but he, there's no excitement in him. Anybody can put a pair of pants on and a t shirt. And if you practice long and hard enough, you can be a Jeff ogilvy Boring, slow, uh, meticulous like a mechanical robot arm. I mean, anybody can just walk down 18 holes of the fairway Every time you go out there, but there's only one tiger. There was only one Nicholas. They carried a special charm with them. They carried a special action with them. Arnold Palmer. Will we ever forget Arnie and his army and all of the other things that Army brought to the table? Arnie brought to the table. Ogilvie brings nothing but a pair of pants and a t-shirt. Ogilvie should keep his big mouth shut. Now, regardless of that, he's right. I mean, you know, nobody's bigger than the game, but as you pointed out, the the game has gotten much more successful financially. Yeah, and and that takes me right into somebody else. Jerry Kelly. Who's Jerry Kelly? It sounds like a Southside Irishman in Chicago who owns a bar. No, folks, this Jerry Kelly is on the PGA Tour, and guess what Jerry Kelly said? You know, these guys have really become horses' asses. Jerry Kelly. That you talk about a legend in his own mind. I don't know if Jerry Kelly's ever cashed a check in anything other than maybe at the local Shell station. Jerry <laughs> Kelly says Tiger Williams, or Tiger, is not the sport. Under no conditions is he considered what? the sport what? of golf. What is wrong with these guys? Listen, the only guy that's got a legitimate bitch in this whole thing is a guy by the name of Parnovic. He is Tiger's pimp because he is the guy that introduced Tiger To the blonde that Tiger married, okay? That's the only guy. And, of course, Parnovic has come out and called Tiger a scumbag, amongst a a number of other things. But Parnovic, too, is one of these guys. you got to realize, hey, I'm making more money now than I ever made. But in defense of Parnovic, he's made a lot of money on the European tours, as we all know. But this Jerry Kelly, I mean, for this... No, no name, no nothing golfer to make this statement is beyond belief. They should, when he comes back, they should all kiss his ass. Forget him apologizing. He's going to do that anyway. But they should all kiss Tiger's ass to come back. Now, I hope he never comes back. I think he's embarrassed everybody. But more importantly, Jack, don't you think Jack Nicholas loves this? Don't you think he loves Tiger getting knocked around every day? Don't you think Jack Nicholas is not pulling for Tiger to ha- win four more majors. Jack Nicklaus is the farthest thing in the world from a fan of Tiger Woods. I'll mm. guarantee you that.
0: Hey, my friend, uh, you know, having played competitive sports to the level that you played, baseball's last 30-game winner, I've wanted to ask you this. was pro football for six days. Last Sunday, the Minnesota Vikings beat the living hell out of Wade Phillips' Tony Romo, and the Dallas Cowboys. Now, now the Vikes were ahead by a bundle with 155 left. Number one, why does Brad Childress still have Brett Favre on the field? And number two, here is Favre who's already thrown three touchdown passes. Denny, he's going vertical downfield to uh, one of his wideouts for a fourth touchdown pass. In my opinion, that violated the unwritten code of sports, which to Kopik and I think to McLean has always read as follows. You can beat me. But you don't rub my nose in it. You don't make me look bad. And that's exactly what Brett Favre did.
1: You know, uh, you know, to some degree I agree with you. But this is a playoff game, and Brett is trying to be this creation that everybody thinks he is. Yes, he's 40. you got to take your hats off and salute him for being 40 years old and playing the way he has. He's having his... his Listen, I believe he's having his career year of his entire NFL season. I have more respect for him this year for some reason than I've ever had before. I always thought he forced the ball. I never thought he was this great quarterback. He always threw the ball well, but he liked to throw it when there were four white jerseys. He was wearing the blue jersey, and there was only one blue jersey standing around the guys with the white jerseys. I never cared for him in in that kind of a situation. I just believe he forced the ball too much. But if you're talking about sticking somebody's nose in it when you're three or four touchdowns ahead, you know, whenever I hear that, Chet, it's a bad story for one reason. Ricky Henderson, who recently got in the Hall of Fame a year or two ago, stole – 1500 or 15,000 or 15 million. Now if you talk to Ricky, he stole 48 million bases. Now, one thing about Ricky, out of the 1200 or 1300 bases he stole, probably a thousand of them didn't mean a thing. You talk about a guy who rubbed the noses of the other players. He used to steal third with a 10-run lead. He'd steal second with a 9-run lead. Ricky Henderson had no morality, had no fair sense of play when he wanted to steal a base. It didn't make any difference. Eight eight ahead or eight behind, he was going to steal a base. Because I've always thought Ricky Henderson was a farce to get in the Hall of Fame. But, Bart, I don't don't think you can say that. Now, if this was early in the year, middle of the year, I can understand that, rubbing a guy's face in it. But I think it's the playoffs. So I think you go along a little bit more. On top of that, I don't think Bart knows it. Bart's in Disney World right now. I think physically and emotionally. And um, the only thing—and I agree with what you said at the end there—Bart should have been taken out of the game in the, in the last quarter. I mean, I think they should have sat down. I think because if Bart gets hurt, you're not winning anymore. Hey, football first games. of all,
0: first of all, you're crazy, Irishman. Who is no. Bart? His name is Brett.
1: Yeah, I call him Bart.
0: All right, now, 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 here is a different angle, Denny. You're a Chicago guy. You went to Mount Carmel. You're a member of the caravan, which probably means you were a Chicago Cardinal fan when you grew up, but you got to hear me out on this.
1: No, no, no. Everybody bears, th- bears, Bears, Everybody
0: bears. thinks about the Bears. It's the monsters of the Midway. It's Hallis. It's Grange. It's Bronco. It's Crunch Butkus. It's Gale. It's Walter Payton. It's Hampton and Mama's Boy Otis. Are you ready for this? Since 1963, when the Papa Bear, the old man George Hallis, won his last NFL championship, the Bears have competed in a grand total of 21 playoff games. Now, Brett Favre, when he goes to work against the New Orleans Saints, will be playing in his 25th career playoff game, which brings me to this point. All this nonsense about the Bears being the monsters of the midway, Denny, it's a fallacy, for heaven's sakes.
1: Well, it's a dog-and-pony show. The media created it. The Bears promoted it. But, you know, listen. From time to time, the Bears have had great players. I mean, you cannot ever defy that fact. I mean, you can't say they never did. They had some sensational people. Uh, but, you know, they're hardly the monsters. And, and when we speak monsters, I want to speak monsters 180 degrees away from where you were. You talk about the Bears playing in 21 playoff games. Do you know the Lions up here in Detroit have played in one in the last 40 years?
0: I'm old enough to recall the last time the Lions won a world championship when Tobin Roadhill was their quarterback and they knocked off the Browns since 1957. I defy you right now. Mr. McLean, and you are under oath to tell me anything of a positive note the Detroit Lions have done since 1957, when, by the way, Leave it to Beaver was big on the tube and Eisenhower was in office.
1: By the way, can I tell you a Tobin Road story? Sure. In my wilder days when I was playing Major League Baseball, uh, Tobin Road, of course, lived in New York. And, uh, we went in there during the middle of the season. We had big street going on in 69. Uh, we were still in contention in 69. And I walked into the, uh, there was a shortstop with the New York Yankees that owned the, uh, Mr. Lash. Phil, uh, Phil, Phil Lins. Um, Phil Lins. That's right. Phil Lins owned the bar. And, uh, I went into this bar and I, and I had a lady friend meet me there. And, uh, lo and behold, um, Tobin wrote was there, and Tobin wrote came up to my lady friend and, and started putting his arms around her, his hands on her, and everything else, and sweet-talking her. I wasn't in the bar yet, and I walked in, and, and just as I got there, Tobin said, well, why don't you come back with me, darling? We'll, we'll go dance. And she says, uh, Mr. Quarterback, I only go out with 31-game winners. Hit the bricks. <laughs> <laughs> Tobin wrote might wouldn't make a pimple on a major league player's ass. Now, listen, speaking of ass, the biggest ass in baseball right now, and he is back in the game, folks. Is Mark McGuire? Um, for no, him no, to start suggesting ass, that he didn't. The biggest
0: hit. ass he, is Tony La
1: Russa. Well, you know what? You may be right. You may be right, but they together they got to look like uh, uh, North America. Um, the thing with McGuire making some of the most outrageous and ridiculous statements I've heard in a long time—that the juice he never thinks he hit a home run off the juice. I mean, why do they take the juice to break up their pimples? Listen, I am so tired of this McGuire thing already. Uh, Fisk, of course, who's come out and really slam dunked him real hard. I have a problem with Fisk, too. I've always had a problem with him. I think he's always, once he went in the Hall of Fame, he really thought he was a legend, and, and he is a legend in his own mind. Uh, what I'm waiting to hear, what I'm waiting to see, One day it's going to happen, my friend. Bud Selig is going to give us a confession and tell us when he knew. Because in 1993, you remember the big case that came down on San Francisco when they indicted 70 people out there? Right, right. In 1993, when they indicted 70 people... McGuire was in the middle of the investigation. The difference was he was not a target because he was a player, and they were only after the distributors. But the FBI made a full report out to the commissioner's office in 93-94, and the baseball, knowing that Mark McGuire was a hardcore steroid user and had been using since 1989, did nothing. And they all allowed him to play the game. Shame on baseball. The difference is fans don't care about it. Fans don't want to hear this. But it, but this is true. The FBI agents going on the record in the last week about the report. This FBI agent was, was a part of the investigation when they went undercover to do all of this. And this FBI agent, along with others, absolutely confirmed that McGuire was nabbed and they let him go because they weren't going after the players. And yet, and yet, think about this, Jet. McGuire continued to use the juice.
0: Hi, Denny. Here, here, here is my point as to why, uh, I mean, McGuire is, un, is unquestionably a jerk. Here is why LaRussa is an elevated jerk who's in a class by himself. He is the guy who has been leading the crazy train, the public relations movement. He's been the messiah for Mark McGuire. And by the way, I, I'll bet you a hundred bucks right now that McGuire by July is not the batting coach for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, Think about baseball's Veterans Committee in the Hall of Fame, and LaRussa is drooling. LaRussa is salivating about securing his spot with baseball's as baseball's third winningest manager of all time behind, uh, uh, Connie Mack, who managed for 200 years, and, uh, uh, and John McGraw. If I'm a member of the Veterans Committee right now, and I see what Tony LaRussa is doing for Mark McGuire, there is no way on God's earth LaRussa would ever get my vote.
1: I don't know where he's coming from. I know he's promoting the hell out of it. Listen, I think he's promoting putting McGuire into the Hall of Fame. I think this is his way to try to get Mark back in the game, let Mark go around the league, kiss everybody's ass over the next year or two in a very serious manner, and then try to get in the Hall of Fame. I don't think he'll ever get there. But you're probably right. He may leave the game by June or July for for one reason. He is going to be hounded and badgered and beat up by everybody this entire season. He has no idea. If we think, if everybody thinks this Tiger Woods thing has been big, follow McGuire around city to city this year on the first day into each city the first time Uh, uh, and see what a mad dash of hell is, because that's what's going to happen to him when he gets goes into each city the first time.
0: Denny, when he comes to Chicago, He's going to have to live and die with room service. He can't walk into Gibson's over on Rush Street. He can't walk into Tavern on Rush. He can't go over to Little Italy and walk into Alex Dana's Rosebud Cafe. When Mark McGuire comes to Chicago, you you know the depth and the uh, the hostility involved in the Cub-Cardinal rivalry. McGuire, in my opinion, is going to have to have security when he comes to Chicago. And there's going to come a point in time when McGuire is down in uh, Florida, For a training camp of the Cardinals, there's going to come a time when he's made the, uh, uh, the regular season lapse in about three or four cities where, in my opinion, McGuire is going to say to himself, what the bleep am I doing here? Because you know what? I thought, I thought I could escape the posse. And you know what? The posse will never let me escape. I guarantee you, I'll bet you a hundred bucks he will not be with the Cardinals as their hitting coach by the All-Star break.
1: You know, you talk about Chicago, folks, but I want to tell you something. There is nothing in the world worse than New York and Philadelphia. Yeah. He's yeah. got to go into both cities. Ladies and gentlemen, that's when he will leave the club, or or he won't go into New York and Philadelphia and stay home for that trip. But I'm going to tell you, he goes into either one of those cities, look for him to commit suicide that weekend. <laughs> now, one last one last little subject for you. The NFL Players Association is getting ready to do something stupid again. Uh, you know, they elected this new guy to be the new uh, uh, head of the organization and the NFL Players Association they've never been the brightest bulbs in any any union of any kind uh, you know, they went for a bad deal in the beginning and are still suffering from the bad deal because none of their contracts, very few contracts are guaranteed in the NFL well, the owners are already threatening a lockout because they say 60% of the income in the NFL, which goes to the players is way too much, and the owners of course, always want to try to take back what, what they take back, but if the NFL players push this, and and, and listen, they will eventually get down to negotiating, but if the NFL players push this like they have in the past, like baseball did, and you miss any NFL games, folks, I got news for you. The NFL is always going to be there in some form, one way or the other, but those player reps... They'll all be gone. That's what happened in baseball. It happened in basketball. It happened in hockey to some degree. And I'm going to tell you, these these player, it's real easy to elect a guy to run an organization. He's not the one going to get going to get whacked, fired, and tattooed and tiptoed And the bottom line is, goodbye NFL. You're going to lose a lot of super players.
0: Denny, go back to uh, 1982. My opinion, the single dumbest public relations campaign ever run was conducted by Gene Upshaw and the NFL players during their uh, eight week uh, uh, strike with the National Football League when they all wore T-shirts and they all held up signs that proclaimed, We are the game. Well, hello, long snappers like Patrick Manley, who's now making a million bucks here in Chicago just to long snap. Football players are checkers on a checkerboard. They are not the game. Bill Ford, wrong, wrong, or wronger is the game. The McCaskies are the game. The Rooneys are the game. The players are just checkers on a checkerboard. Hey, the NFL, Denny Can Live, with a lockout. They can live with no football in 2011. It's not going to harm the McCaskies' bank account whatsoever. But the players have their backs against the wall, but as, we, as, you, as always, they don't realize it.
1: NFL Players Association, which just has never learned anything from Marvin Miller, despite the fact they tried to get Marvin Miller involved at one time, they just don't get it. And what they don't get is the following, folks, and Chet has said this any number of thousands of times. If it wasn't for gambling, There would be no need to have the NFL, folks. There wouldn't be an NFL. No one would even think about the NFL. My God, can you imagine we'd have to watch hockey during the winter? you got to be kidding.
0: (laughs) Well, Denny, now that we have thoroughly embarrassed ourselves once again, I would suggest that we get together in, uh, in seven days and one resume our pounding of Mark McGuire because, you know what, it just kind of brings out good feelings and good vibes in me just to pound lumps on Mark McGuire because, in truth, I think he's the kind of guy I'd like to deck if I if, if I could do it and wouldn't you know get mortally wounded.
1: Well, the phoniness of the of the crying and what have you stunned everybody. But lastly, let me say this: uh, it has certainly proven to be that Mr. Conseco has been one of the great truth-tellers of all time in the game of Major League Baseball. And now, despite the fact McGuire denying the fact that Canseco injected him, who the hell would believe McGuire? McGuire has got about one inch of, of veracity in his entire body right now. And what he should do? Go jump off the bridge. See you, Mark.
0: You know what? You know, kind of interesting. Denny, do you realize 30 years from now there are uh, young people right now who are in their – uh, uh oh, shall we say, adolescent stage, who are going to be so-called historians, they are going to be calling Jose Canseco, who's not exactly, you know, uh, Prince Charming or uh, the leader of your local Boy Scout troop. Thirty years from now, Jose Canseco is going to be looked upon as this guy who had the guts to stand up when nobody else would. Who'd have thunk it?
1: But he's always going to be known as a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, there is no way he can ever get over his reputation. He will always be known as a bad guy who went, you know, it's just like the guys in the police department. You know, they hide behind this blue wall, they say. Uh, you know what? Baseball players have been doing that for a 1,000 years, too, with some of the things that go on behind closed doors in baseball. Jose Canseco not only went outside the wall, but he walked right through the wall and said, Ladies and gentlemen, listen to this story, and they're all going to deny it, but it's the truth. And who, who has lived long enough? to be totally vindicated with his book, Jose Canseco, yet he still only sold about four copies.
0: This, of course, has been Two Angry Men featuring uh, Motown's own Denny McLean by way of Chicago and uh, Chad Copic right here in the Windy City. Children, we will talk to you in seven days. Mr. McLean. you have yourself a marvelous, marvelous weekend, buddy.